This is the Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. The Political Insider is your inside source on politics from the White House to the State House and all points in between. If it's in the headlines, the Political Insider will have the story. Let's get started. Here's Bill Ballinger. Welcome, weekend political warriors. You can make a case that this past week was the most momentous of all of calendar year 2019 in the state capitol in Lansing because last Monday, September 30th, the final day of the 2019 fiscal year, Governor Gretchen Whitmer had before her some 16 appropriation bills for spending for the current fiscal year, which began on Tuesday, October 1st, and will continue through September 30th of next year, 2020, before her to sign or veto in part or in whole, or perhaps within the budget bills themselves, and I think there were 16 of them altogether, possibly line item veto items in those budgets. And what did she do? Well, I think everybody knows by now she did something never before done in Michigan governmental history, 180 years, dating back to 1837. Governor Whitmer uh, issued 147 line item vetoes, constituting $947 million, that's nearly $1 billion in cuts, And she ruled that 70 budget items were, quote, unenforceable, unquote, in her opinion. And she also transferred more than $600 million, really $625 million, I think was the figure, within departmental budgets uh, from one priority within a particular department's budget to another priority that she preferred she couldn't legally or constitutionally transfer funds from one department or one budget bill to another but she could do it within departments according to a very obscure supreme court decision back in 1993 by a very close 4-3 margin that a governor can do this but no governor has ever done this uh, particularly to the extent that governor whitmer did this week So what was the reaction of the Michigan legislature, which had passed and sent to the governor all these bills constituting some $50 billion in state spending? Uh, Most of them was strong bipartisan support, not just the Republican majorities in each the House and Senate, but also Democrats. What was their reaction? Well, Republican legislative leaders uh, this week and the next day or two after the governor's actions said that they considered the budget done, although the Senate Majority Leader Mike Shirky did leave the door open for a supplemental bill, which he said the governor would have to tell them She wanted because she had mistakenly line item vetoed many items that would be in this supplemental bill. Now, make no mistake about it. Gretchen Whitmer said she wants to send a supplemental 
uh, well, let's put it this way, she wants to receive a supplemental bill uh, from the legislature, putting back in many of the things she vetoed, but she wants to be able to negotiate with them on money for fix the damn roads, which I think we've heard quite a bit about in the last 12 months. That was the governor's battle cry in 2018. Uh, she wanted to fix the damn roads, and she said it would take $2.5 billion a year for the next 10 years minimum uh, and beyond. And to do that, she wanted to hike the gasoline tax in Michigan 45 cents a gallon, which was a non-starter in the legislature, not only among the Republicans, but among most Democrats as well. So because she said she would not sign a budget of any sort for the current fiscal year without the amount of money she said was essential to fix the damn roads, $2.5 billion a year, year after year for the next decade and longer, uh, the legislature did not send her anything, uh, felt they couldn't send her anything because Whatever they sent her, she said she would veto it unless it contained the money for fix the damn roads. Finally, about a month ago, the governor threw in the towel on her insistence that the two concepts, money for fix the damn roads and the 2020 budget, be coupled together and that they were locked and yoked together and inseparable and she would not consider one without the other. She said... No, I've changed my mind. Uh, let's just do the budget because there's too much danger we might shut down the budget. Uh, excuse me, shut down state government for the uh, ensuing and now in process fiscal year if we don't get the budget passed. And then we'll have our talks about fix the damn roads going forward. That's what she said then. Well, the legislature sent her all their budget bills and included in those budget bills was $400 million for fix the damn roads. Now, that's way short of $2.5 billion, but that was one of the things that Governor Whitmer vetoed. She said, I don't want some stopgap funding mechanism for fix the damn roads, which is what we've been doing for years. I want to fix them once and for all. And so I'm going to veto the $400 million you sent me, and I'm going to veto 146 uh, other things, including aid for autistic children, uh, charter schools, uh, lots of things, Pure Michigan program, uh, that are either popular or essential with the general public. And it's all designed to force the legislature back to the table with me to bargain on money for fix the damn roads. So at this point, uh, the Speaker of the House said that he had not seen the list that the governor wanted to put in this supplemental bill uh, that she wanted the legislature to pass and send to her. But he said that he was, quote, shocked that she was using children's safety, road repairs, veterans' benefits, and people with autism as political pawns for leverage to help her get her pet projects and a gas tax hike. Uh, Mike Shirky, the Senate Majority Leader, agreed. He said the budget is done. Uh, 
and I'm quoting him here, if she thinks she made a mistake with her red pen, that she can let us know which one she'd like to have back, unquote. So all options appear to be on the table going forward, including giving the nearly $1 billion in vetoed money back to taxpayers. And Shirky went on to say, quote, if the money is available and not being deployed, I think that is one of the most responsible things we could do, unquote, meaning send the money back to people. But to do that, the legislature would have to bill, and guess what? Uh, Gretchen Whitmer has already said, I will veto such a bill. So she wants the money hanging out there in purgatory, uh, not being spent because she's vetoed it, but not being given back to the taxpayers either. Uh, she did meet with what was called the quadrant, is called the quadrant, which means the House and Senate Republican and Democratic leaders on Thursday. But supposedly, all they talked about were issues that had nothing to do with the budget. They were all about things that everybody seems to agree on, like uh, expulsion law and uh, criminal justice reform. And can't they agree on getting something done on those issues? And let's just find out in the next few days whether some kind of a compromise can be reached between the governor and the legislature on the 2020 budget and all her vetoes. But it's not looking good right now, folks. Not looking good at all. We'll be back in a minute with our first guest, and we're going to talk more about this and some other issues going forward. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We have returned, and we will talk some more about the current state budget imbroglio with our guest. Uh, But first, I want him to talk about something else. And our guest, by the way, is Eric Lufer, and he is president of the Citizens Research Council of Michigan. Eric Lufer, welcome to The Political Insider. Bill, it's my pleasure to join you today. Well, let me start out and just ask you, first of all, explain to people I know, Capital Insiders and people who are students of state government know very well what the Citizens Research Council of Michigan is, but some of our listeners may not know as much about it as they should. So tell me what it is. How old is the organization? What do you do? And uh, then we'll get to what we really want to talk about, and that is the tribute this week that you in the Citizens Research Council uh, presented to Doug Roberts, your Public Service Award. So, Eric Lufer, take it away. Yeah, so the Citizens Research Council is a 103-year-old organization that was created uh, created a long time ago and it still has the mission, same mission today, how to get information so that people can make informed decisions about public policy. And those people might be the legislature or city councils, but it's also... Uh, the citizens who are watching government and want to know what are these bums doing? Are they taking us down a good road or a bad road? What should I think about the policies and, and what are the possibilities for reform? Uh, our, our founder a long time ago put it best. He said the right to criticize government is an obligation to know what you're talking about. So we try to get the information so people can know what they're talking about when they're 
uh, criticizing or defending the policies that our governments are making. So, um, yeah, we had uh, we have a new policy. This is the fifth year, I guess, we've been doing this of honoring somebody that's given to the state. Uh, they've given their time, their leadership, their uh, their know-how on doing a lot of things. This year, we honored Doug Roberts, who, uh, throughout his forty-plus years working in state government, was the state treasurer, the director of Department of Management and Budget, the Senate Fiscal Agency head. The, he chaired the Office of State Employer. He chaired the State Tax Commission. He was head of the Northern Michigan University Board of Trustees. And when he was done doing all that, he went to Michigan State and ran the Institute for Public Policy and Social Research, which runs programs like the Political Leadership Program and the Legislative Leadership Program that puts on public policy forums. So he's been a busy man that he's given in so many ways to the state, and it was time for us. Uh, to sit down and say, Doug, job well done. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah, I think Doug, I know you, Doug Roberts. Uh, uh, yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say uh, he uh, served under five governors, uh, both Democrats and Republicans. I think that's one of the reasons that I think he was so popular and acceptable and revered among students of government and observers of government, participants of government in Lansing, is because uh, he really operated at kind of above the fray, not in a partisan basis, uh, and I think people on both sides uh, of the aisle uh, honored him, and you had sponsors on your host committee who were prominent Democrats and Republicans, so he was kind of an ideal recipient, wasn't he, for you? Yeah, you know, so our organization is very independent, and we like to think that facts matter, and what a better exemplar of that than Doug Roberts, who, as you said, stayed above it all because he stuck to the facts. What's the economy doing? How is that affecting taxes? How are public policies being provided? Does the state have the resources to do it? Uh, and, and what's the best way to do it? It, it? He left the politics for others, and that's very much in line with what we as a Citizens Research Council try to do. Um, we'll think about the policies and what are the alternatives, what are the implications. But ultimately, it's a political decision. Uh, so we'll let those people inclined to jump into that fray, worry about who's affected and, um, you know, is this going to help their re-election or not? That's some. That's a job for somebody else uh, in our eyes, and I think that's how Doug saw it. Yeah. Uh, by the way, uh, the specific award, the Public Service Award that you gave, Doug, is called the Eugene A. Gargaro Jr. Public Service Award, and Eugene Gargaro was actually there this week at the ceremony, and he made a little joke about this. He said, usually this is named after somebody who's no longer with us, but I'm here. And uh, who was Eugene Gargaro? Who is he? Eugene Gargaro uh, has been very active on our board for many, many years, uh, helped us through some difficult times uh, as the state has gone through its ups and downs. Uh, He's best known, though, for his relationship with the Detroit Institute of Arts. Uh, He's chaired that board for many years, and he was a key player during Detroit's bankruptcy and going to the foundations, working with the uh, judges, trying to save the DIA and all of its art. It's such an important part of our culture in southeast Michigan and, and arguably in all of Michigan. Um, and, and so that's where we know Gene Gargaro the best. Yeah, now you had uh, this uh, ceremony giving Doug Roberts the Gargaro Public Service Award in the Crown Plaza uh, Hotel on the west side of Lansing. Um, uh, You had a lot of people there, didn't you? 
Yeah, we had about 300 people, and we were honoring Doug. It was a march down memory lane. A lot of people that we haven't seen for a while come back to say uh, Doug was important in their lives, and they want to come back and give give to him. Uh, we've we've grown our event over the last couple of years. We used to be able to fit into a phone booth when we had our annual meeting and, and have this dinner, and we've really ramped it up the last couple of years. Somebody mentioned to me on the way out the door that it's becoming an event that you don't want to miss because we've had high-profile speakers and, and honoring people of great importance. So uh, we're taking a lot of pride in that, yeah. Yeah, and didn't you raise quite a bit of money, uh, I think maybe over $130,000, and I mean, I think that'll go to help Citizens Research Council, won't it? It is the primary event, uh, fundraising event for us. Uh, so, yeah, we reached our target of just over 130000 and that's going to keep the lights on and keep our researchers doing their hard work uh, for some time here. Yeah, you wanted to have uh, Governor Gretchen Whitmer there as your keynote speaker, but I, I think she was a little busy this week, don't you? She was in the middle of a lot of stuff, so you had Jocelyn Benson, Michigan's 43rd Secretary of State, there as your keynote speaker. Uh, how did that go over? Uh, she did a tremendous job. Uh, you know, sometimes being the Secretary of State is, is you know, Similar to what Doug went through being the treasurer, it's it's sometimes a thankless job as people have to wait in line to get their license renewed and pay their birthday tax, they, they call it. Um, but she's come in with a real vision for how to modernize, how to take some things out of the Secretary of State's office and, and make it easier for people to interact with government. And she has the... Uh, Tremendous job of implementing what we voted on last November with a proposal two and proposal three, the voters, not politicians, and promote the vote. So uh, she has her hands full with a number of things, but uh, she's such an energetic person and, and such a bright person. I really feel like she's up to the job. Yeah, when Jocelyn Benson uh, was appointed dean of the Wayne State University Law School, which she was before she uh, ran for secretary of state and was elected last year, she was the youngest woman in U.S. history to lead a top 100 accredited law school. She has tremendous credentials. Listen, uh, we can talk more about Jocelyn Benson and Doug Roberts ad nauseum forever, but we're out of time on this segment. But we're going to come back here with Eric Lufer, who is our guest. He is president of the Citizens Research Council. We're going to talk about the situation with Michigan's budget right now and the seeming standoff or impasse between Governor Gretchen Whitmer and the Michigan legislature. We'll be back in a moment. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We have returned with our special guest, Eric Lufer, who is president of the Citizens Research Council of Michigan. We just went through uh, the uh, description of the awarding of the Gargaro Public Service Award to former Michigan State Treasurer Doug Roberts. Uh, but I want to ask Eric Lufer his opinion about what's going on with the budget situation right now with Governor Gretchen Whitmer having vetoed the number of line items that she did this week. It was a record. 
number um, and the amount of cuts in the budget she made and the transfers within departments that she made, unprecedented and all designed, according to the governor, to force uh, Republican leaders in the House and Senate back to the bargaining table where she can negotiate with them on money for fix the damn roads and other things in the budget and their reaction, which so far has been uh, pretty unresponsive, to say the least. And I'd just like to ask Eric Lufer what his opinion is right now about the current situation. Ha- have you ever seen anything like this, Eric Lufer? And what do you think it bodes going forward? Well, I have seen like things like this, but it's always been on television with some made-up scenarios with <laughs> House of Cards or Game of Thrones, where the, <laughs> the court intrigue is people positioning one against the other, and and that's what we've seen for the last couple of years, uh, certainly nationwide, and we're seeing it here in Michigan, uh, where it really isn't about governing, it's about ruling, and the Republicans for the last eight years have controlled the executive and the legislative branch, and they pretty much had free will to do what they wanted. But now it's a split legis- you know, split with the executive in the Democratic hands and uh, the Republicans, of, of course, controlling the legislature. And, the, you know, the year started, there was a lot of glad-handing, and they were saying great things that they're looking forward to working together and doing these. But when push has come to shove, they've all gone to their corners, they've all gone to their own talking points, and and each one is trying to rule, not govern. And, Bill, when I say that, I mean we have government to manage the interaction between people. If we could all agree up to drive on the right side of the road, we wouldn't need a law to say drive on the right side of the road. But people don't do that. If you go to third-world countries, people just drive where they need, and, and it's chaos. So we have government to figure these things out. And to do that, we have to have compromise. We have to bring people with different perspectives together and say, how can we agree on, on a way to go forward? But there has been no compromise through this whole process. The governor put out her proposal, seemingly um, you know, well-intentioned, but it had her priorities built into the budget. That's what governors do. There's nothing wrong with that. But rather than trying to negotiate going through this, and, and there's plenty of blame on both sides, they've all stuck to their positions. This is what they need to do. And in the end, the legislature did what it wanted without compromising with the governor. And now she has used her hand to push back and say, well, I line item veto, I do these other things. But there's no compromise in any of this. And, and the people are hurt by it. The, the autistic communities, the charter schools, there's hardly any group affected by state government through all this that hasn't been hurt by it. And even if you're not financially hurt by it, you're hurt because this is not the way government is supposed to work. So it, it's a mess. Uh, we, need, we should expect better from our state legislative leaders, our state governor. Uh, we should expect them to do what's in the best interest of the state. And, and they're not that far apart when you look at it, but they've all put in the things that they want to do, trying to embarrass the other, trying to force change in some way or another. And, and the people... When you look at where, how people vote, how people feel about things, people want government to work. Some want smaller government, some want more progressive government, but they just want government to work. And what we're watching for the last couple of weeks is government not working. Yeah. We need to expect better.
Uh, well, I think if we did a poll of the citizens of Michigan, some 10 million of them right now, everything you said would probably get 100% support. Uh, I agree, and I think everybody in the state probably would agree with what you say. But let me ask you, at this point, can the Citizens Research Council do anything um, or exert any influence uh, in this terrible situation to get the kind of compromise and consensus built that is lacking uh, that we haven't had? Can you do anything? What can you do? Yeah, so the Citizens Research Council has to stick in our lane, right? So we're not political players. We're not uh, advocates of, of this, and we don't lobby or anything like that. But we can continue to put out the information that will be important for navigating through this whole mess. What have what do current state revenues look like compared to past trends? Where do we expect to go from here? Um, how is it affecting the schools? What what are their revenue uh, fortunes look like? What are the different um, state spending patterns and, and what's going on there? Uh, it's information that we need, uh, and and they have a lot of it there at their disposal. But you know we can continue to be a resource for that, and and we'll see where we go from here. But um, sometimes when you get into all this politics, the facts don't matter. They're they're just going to do what they want to do, and I think that's what we're seeing at this point. And and we're just going to remind them that facts do matter, and, and people's lives are affected by these decisions that they're making. Yeah, well, Eric Lufer, uh, right now, and I talked about this at the beginning of the program, the governor has taken her action, and yet the legislators sound pretty recalcitrant, uh, as you have pointed out. They're not backing down. They're saying, you know, we're not going to, you know, cave in uh, to the governor and her demands for, you know, money through a gas tax hike or in some other way for $2.5 billion a year going forward. Um, and so, you know, if the governor wants to admit she made mistakes and rescind some of her line item vetoes, uh, we can send her a supplemental bill that will contain the rescissions or whatever, or restore the money. Uh, but if she doesn't do that, we're done with the budget. We're done. And the only other thing they've talked about is sending her a bill that would allow the $1 billion in cuts that is not going to be spent to be sent back to the taxpayers. And the governor has said, I will veto such a bill. So, I mean, there's a kind of a limbo, a purgatory, $1 billion hanging out there. What do you think may happen? Well, eventually they have to get in a, in a room and work out uh, compromise. And it requires everybody giving a little bit. What we're seeing right now are games of brinksmanship where they're they're daring the other one to blink and the other one to give in, and, and that's not serving anybody. Um, but the, the items that were vetoed were items that were important to legislators and some of their districts, some of their personal interests. They were items that are important to key constituents in Michigan. And when we were studying state government a long, long time ago when I was getting started, they used to talk about closing the Washington Monument. Well, that's a one minor thing that the federal government might do, but it's important because a lot of people go to Washington, D.C., and they want to see the important uh, monuments and, and things to see. Um, so we're seeing some of that here in Michigan where they're, they're 
getting to items that are not of the greatest importance, but they're trying to grab people's attention, and, and they just need to get in the same room and uh, give a little bit. Everybody has to give a little bit. Well, I think you're absolutely right. Whether that happens or not, we'll find out. Right now, the legislature doesn't sound like they want to cooperate and they want to let the vetoes stand and let the governor take the heat. That's what they're saying. But if that's the way it works out, uh, we're all going to be the losers here as citizens in the state of Michigan. And, and yeah. I think the citizens are going to blame all of them, not just the governor. Yeah, oh, I think you're right. Well, I want to thank you, Eric Lufer, president of the Citizens Research Council of Michigan, for your appearance here, your description of the Doug Roberts Award, and your take on the unholy imbroglio involving the governor and the legislature on the 2020 budget. Thank you, Eric Lufer. That was my pleasure. Look forward to doing it again. Absolutely. We'll have you back. Thank you. This is MTN, and you're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. Here's Bill. We have returned with Representative Bo Lafave, Republican of Iron Mountain, um, state representative, and uh, his district just has produced the state Christmas tree for this year that in less than two months is going to be situated in front of the state capitol. In fact, I think it's from Iron Mountain. Representative Lafave, welcome to the Political Insider. Well, thank you, Representative Ballinger. It's an honor and a privilege. Do, do you know of this tree? I mean, had you seen it before? Maybe you I've recommended it, it. I've heard it talked about, and of course, Senator as well. Um, I have seen the tree. I've heard about it. I haven't seen the tree, but I've heard about it so much, and I have to go try to find this thing now. <laughs> Well, also, this week, uh, this uh, was maybe overshadowed by other events, but you did have a first-time meeting with uh, your favorite constitutional officer, the Attorney General, Dana Nessel. Tell us about I that. I did. It was very nice. I was in the House office building, and I brushed past. A bunch of people were walking in, and my colleague, Phil Bellino, gave me a hard time because I didn't notice or recognize the Attorney General. I just didn't see her. And he said, well, you're not going to say hi to your favorite gal? And I turned around and said, <laughs> Attorney General. And so I was socially obligated to go up and say hello as a nice human being that I am, shake her hand. And she said, no, none of that. Come on in for the real thing. And gave me a hug. And so welcome to the House <laughs> Office Building, Madam Attorney General. Well, congratulations. You buried the hatchet at least for about uh, 15 seconds anyway. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see what happens on the Twitter feed from now on. But, well, she still hasn't blocked me on, unblocked me on Twitter. Uh, well, that would be a real sign. I mean, she should at least do that. If if you acceded to her request for an embrace, she at least ought to unblock you on Twitter. Any, well, she also tweeted that I needed, uh, right after the hug, I immediately went to a precautionary gay conversion therapy in case I taught anything, <laughs> which I thought was wildly inappropriate on many, many levels. Well, okay, let's get to the serious stuff here. Now, the governor has issued this record number of line-item vetoes, almost a billion dollars in budget cuts, transferred money between departments to the tune of $625 million. And I understand you may have a bill that might address this situation. What's going on, and what is the reaction of the legislature right now? 
Well, it's incredibly disturbing that the governor decided to ask $1.6 billion in funding for vital programs for our military, our National Guard, for our state state troopers, for our sheriff's department. 119 sheriff's deputies are facing layoffs, $60 million in county dollars, uh, money for schools, $4 million for children with autism, and a million dollars for human trafficking victims. It's incredibly disturbing. And we need to rein this administration in because basically what she did is she axed a billion and then found $600 million for good programs the legislature authorized. Um, she also took a million dollars from the SUAC and transferred the money for Detroit buses. So we need to stop the administrative rules from being able to just transfer money to wherever the heck she wanted to go. Well, so that might come in the form of a bill uh, that you would introduce, but, you know, the governor, I would think, would veto it, and then where are you? Well, the thing is that Democrats in the House and Senate also voted for budget. We had lots of programs uh, for their district, as well as Republicans that got acts as well. They should be, and I believe are, just as upset as I am. So we'll find a way to override this thing. Well, frankly, in my opinion, uh, if she's not willing to sign a bill to get rid of this, uh, to at least have legislative oversight when she transfers money, then I'm not sure why in the world the legislature would give her a supplemental budget if she's just going to spend the money on whatever the heck she wants. Right. Uh, Do you think there are talks going on or will they go on between the legislative leaders of both parties themselves without the governor just to see if there's common agreement on certain things that she vetoed that everybody, a two-thirds majority in each chamber, uh, would agree should be overridden? I think the first thing that needs to happen is we need to let cooler heads prevail and think about this very carefully. But the budget's done. We did the budget. The governor decided she wanted to veto $4 million for autism, children with autism, and $50,000 for veterans, uh, for uh, National Guard uniforms, and I could go on. I mean, obviously, $218 million for schools, $400 million for roads. Uh, if the governor is willing to admit that she made a mistake in axing some of these programs, give us a call. We're happy to put the vote back up on the board and hand it back to her. Well, do you think if there ever is going to be any kind of an agreement between the governor and the legislature, the legislative leaders on what's to be done going forward, that part of the agreement might be that she sign a bill that you are introducing to get rid of this ability of a governor to unilaterally transfer within departments money that you have appropriated, which nobody really thought would ever be used the way Governor Whitmer did this week. Way back in 1991, John Engler tried it, and that led to the court decision saying, well, the governor can do this if if he wants to. Uh, But Engler actually withdrew almost everything that he wanted to transfer, made a deal with Democrats in the House who then controlled the state House, and uh, they got everything through the budget in a way that was far less destructive than what happened this week. Uh, so maybe you would send her a bill that would remove that power from the governor statutorily, uh, and she would agree to sign it as part of some kind of overall deal. Do you think that is a possibility? Well, I think that that's what has to happen, essentially. 
Um, the governor. The problem is, I'm getting a little bit of whi- a little bit of whiplash with Whitmer. First, she said she was never going to raise 20 cents a gallon for gas tax. Then she did a 45 cent per gallon gas tax announcement. Then she said she was going to separate that from discussion with the budget. Then we went into budget negotiations, and she said she wouldn't raise any more. Re- she wouldn't uh, spend more money on roads. And then she walked away from the deal and line item vetoed basically everything popular um, and all the money for roads. So I don't know what she's thinking, if she's thinking, who she's listening to. So as if there's going to be any trust between the House and the Senate and the governor, she needs to give us this token of good faith that she's not going to do this again. And then at that point, after that happens, happy to sit down and talk about Um, what other mistakes that she's made along the way and whether or not she's willing to fund autism research or not. Well, do you think this $1 billion in cuts, and for that matter, some of the money in the intra-departmental transfers might just hang out there in limbo, in purgatory, indefinitely as the fiscal year drags on with uh, the legislature, you know, unwilling to send her anything because they can't trust her in terms of what how she might react to it. Uh, and on the other hand, you you know, Senator Shirky, at least, has said maybe we ought to give it back to the taxpayers. And if the legislature passed a bill to give it back to the taxpayers, she's already said, I will veto that. Uh, well, she said she'd veto car insurance reform, too, so. <laughs> um, I guess I'm not really willing to take what she has to say for what she'll veto to be 100% true. Well, you you could be right. She has changed her mind a lot. There's no question about that. So, And, and usually for the better of the taxpayers, which is fantastic. So, uh, yeah, she's willing to change her mind on a million dollars for the Sioux Law to make sure we get that vital national security interest taken care of. That'd be fantastic. Uh, I would very much look forward to that. Well, do you think it's possible the legislature will dig in its heels and not do anything? And in the words of Speaker Chatfield and Leader Shirky, the budget is done. You just said it yourself. We're done with that. We're moving on. In fact, I think when they met, the quadrant, uh, the House and Senate Republican and Democratic leaders met with the governor on Thursday Basically, they supposedly talked about only things they could agree on, like criminal justice reform and expungement bills, and they didn't even talk much about the budget. Well, I mean, there's not really much to talk about. There's one person on all of planet Earth that I know of uh, that can end this nonsense and fund these vital programs, and that person's name is Governor Whitmer. So if she's willing to change her mind, the House and Senate are willing to re-send her the $218 million for schools and $400 million in roads and the other billion dollars she slashed for uh, areas in the budget. But until that happens, there's nothing the House and Senate can do. So anybody listening that's upset with some of these cuts, road patrol in your district or other things, please call the governor. Encourage her to change her mind again. <laughs> That was Representative Bo LaFave, Republican of Iron Mountain of the 108th House District, which includes Menominee, Delta, and Dickinson counties. Is that correct, Representative LaFave? That's right, and I'm just glad she didn't cut the funding for the Christmas tree. Unfortunately, there is not, so she couldn't cut it. Very good. Have a great weekend. Thank you, Representative Bo LaFave. Thank you very much.